Everybody, 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 drop your buff. Stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are recapping Survivor 42, Episode 2, Good and Guilty. Evan, we had a rocky start last week. Uh, what did you think about week two? Mm, um, not a particularly high high, but not a low low. I think this was a pretty standard episode two of Survivor where you have a lot of players that you're still getting to know. And so you have to cover a lot of ground. So you tend to go more wide than go deep. But I do feel like we made some headway with some characters like Marianne in terms of, you know, fleshing them out a bit more. Um, but I didn't find it to be a particularly memorable episode. And I felt like the uh, attempt to, uh, uh, you know, switch up the the vote out and surprise fans was something that we've seen done so many times that at this point it feels a little tired. What did mm. you think? Uh, I am feeling much better about the season after this episode than the premiere episode. And I think it's because of that going wide, as you say, and uh, because we got a lot of coverage for a lot of people. Uh, we didn't have one single clear standout narrator to this episode. I mean, maybe Jonathan, but even then it wasn't shoved down our throats because I think we got as many confessionals from Mike as we did Jonathan, if I'm not mistaken, Mike finding the beware advantage. And so I felt like there was a lot of breathing room in this episode, which made me a lot more comfortable with the players and who's on what tribe. Like I felt like I got a good lay of the land. And I realized after the fact that maybe the reason was that we had no Shipwheel Island this week. We had no prisoner's dilemma. So it felt like pre-challenge, we got a lot of material and the material the material we got wasn't even entirely surrounding advantages or, you know, these things in the game. We did get a lot of like, I think, character material. So uh, I'm pretty happy with this episode and I feel like I'm starting to come around to the cast. I feel like it is still a weirdo cast and I'm okay with that. It's sort of reminding me honestly, and, and maybe, maybe I'm giving 42 a little too much credit too early on, but it's reminding me a lot of how I felt about the early episodes of David versus Goliath, because I didn't love that season in the first few episodes. I think that I mean, may, I don't know if I'm alone here, but I think when I went back and rewatched that season recently, I was really expecting it to be hitting the ground running from episode one. But it really takes until I would say the Natalie vote out and the can I have your jacket for that season to really kick into high gear. And so it gives me some comfort because I'm I'm getting a similar vibe from 42 in that uh, it's not... I haven't seen anything really kick off yet, but I feel like they're setting up a pretty good cast of characters and the social dynamics between them uh, early on. And I, I'm a little wary because I think it was episode three 
of season 41. That was sort of the Advantage Geddon episode where we were reading pieces of paper for an hour. So I'm going to like reserve my final judgment until after episode three to make sure that that doesn't happen. But I'm feeling okay about it this week. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that that worries me about this cast overall, and I mean, worry is the wrong word, but you know, that has me, you know, raise an eyebrow is it's a lot of heroes and no villains. And mm. I obviously think that's uh, an effort that casting is making as they move forward with Survivor. But everyone is getting along right now. And it seems to be a lot of someone comes out about some experience in their life, whether it be Jackson being trans or this week, um, his, his name, is it Omar? Omar yeah. is the one that um, revealed to the cast that he's Muslim um, and that he would be praying on the beach. And just no matter what seems to happen or uh, Mariah revealing about that her brother died. And it's just like someone reveals something and everyone says, okay. And I'm not saying that to say that I want there to be friction when people <laughs> reveal aspects of who they are. That's not what I'm saying. But what I mean is that the game as we've known it for so long is not predicated on, but often relies upon the fact that people share information uh, about themselves that, but are not, not even necessarily about themselves, just share information that causes some kind of stir amongst the cast. And also, if you go back to like, you know, Rudy and Richard, as you and I often do on this podcast, I think there is something interesting about two people from two walks of life that don't get each other and what you're seeing so far is a lot of people from different walks of life who just sort of seem to immediately get each other i mean we witnessed that with jonathan and omar where it's kind of like we have nothing in common let's be best friends which is sweet and it makes for a sweet package um but i like a little bit more gradation and we just have a lot of nice people getting along right now yeah, that's a good point. Because I think that somebody like take Tori, for example, who is maybe our most clear, I don't even want to call her a villain. But she's our most clear example of somebody who's going to rub people the wrong way. And we did get some of that in episode one. But we really got none of it in episode two. I mean, we got Romeo at the beginning saying like, okay, well, unfortunately, we had to take out Zach, because that's the way that the tide was turning. And we decided to keep Tori feeling safe for a while so that we can just easily cut her further down the line with this false sense of trust that we've built with her. So that like, that's interesting. But why? Why do we why do we want to cut Tori? What is she doing? We know that she was looking for an idol and, and then was you know, not truthful about it. Uh, but what more is there? Because then we see Drea want to align with Tori. So like, what's going on there? It would be nice to flush that out a little bit more. And I think that maybe the reason we didn't is because Ika didn't have to go to tribal council this week. But, uh, you know, it's something that I would like to keep my eye on. Also, uh, you know, there's the scene where Hi talks about being a vegan and struggling with like eating the crab and having this breakdown. And you're right, everybody was very very okay like let's let's support high in this moment where i mean you look back at the way that kimmy kappenberg was packaged for us in the australian outback and it was very like what the hell is wrong with this girl like she won't eat and it's causing a big problem for us and like i'm sure that that sentiment is out there i'm sure that there are tribe mates who are kind of like i mean like high says he's worried about being a liability for his tribe that has to be an element of people's thought process, but we're not being shown it. And I think it would be really interesting. And I don't think that that would necessarily make high a villain, but it would be nice to see not just what's bonding people together, but what's potentially causing fractures in their relationships. 
Not only that, but like, welcome to Survivor. So if he thought that he was going to be able to last the 26 days on coconut and rice alone, that's ridiculous. Like, what was his thought process around how he was going to get protein? So I just think it's odd that he's like having this moment on the island where he's suddenly realizing that he's going to have to make this choice instead of just coming on in the confessional in day one and saying, look, I'm a vegan at home, but I've watched this game before. It's the 42nd season of the show. And so I know the fact that if I'm going to play, I'm going to have to make a choice that goes against my moral compass when I'm at home and play differently. So I thought that was kind of almost like odd to see people still negotiating certain aspects of the game um, instead of just being like, or for instance, you want those moments like, when they announced the challenge this week where someone's just like, oh, it's that one. You know, it's like everyone's still sort of doing the like um, kid in a candy store with the game sometimes. And it's kind of like, you know, we've we've done the rigmarole. Like, you know, you're going to you're going to have to eat the crab. Also, yeah. just a quick question. Where were those crabs last season? I know that crab was huge. Like I thought when they were cooking the crab, I was like, wow, have we really never seen the crab get cooked and eaten before? I know we've seen it getting caught a lot. And I know that we've seen it cooked, but I was like, this this is like some red lobster crab. This is a, right. like a big old snow crab or something. Tasted like uh, a dead butter. Yeah, it, it looked delicious. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that I kind of got the vibe from High in that statement and the whole story. I like. I mean, I don't. I don't want to insinuate that he's doing this on purpose. But I think back to Big Wendy, and uh, I, there was a sense that I got that she was playing for the Sia money. Now, Hai would not know that Sia has stopped her prize and disappeared uh, because of you know recent events in Sia's career. But it felt a little bit to me like pandering to Sia. I'm not saying he did it on purpose. I'm not saying it's a game plan. Not a bad game plan if you can get it. But it felt a little bit Sia worthy for me. A little calculated. I did want to add one other thing about Omar before we move on, because I I thought it was particularly odd when he was telling the tribe about his religious beliefs. And he mentioned in his, in the confession, he said, you have to be your most genuine self in this game. And it's like, no, you don't. You really don't. And I, I point this out to say, I think this is one of the ways in which the show has fundamentally changed in that, you sort of, they they want it to be this idea of you go on there and you be yourself and that's how you win, which is one way to play the game with great success, right? But you can absolutely go in and not be yourself and win this game. This game has nothing to do with who you are genuinely. That's why it's a game. And I just think that that shift in framework is really worth sort of like, noting because I found that to be a really odd sentiment, especially when just one episode earlier, you get Tori being like, I'm a, I believe she's a social worker, but she told them she was a therapist or I could be wrong. No, she's a therapist, but she told them she's a caregiver. There you go. Okay. But like, (laughs) that is something that she still went into the mindset of. Why did she choose to do that very bizarre thing? Because she's seen it done before and perhaps she's seen it done with great success. I can't remember offhand who's, who's faked their career. There's other things that people can fake, but it's just to say that like this idea that like you, the purity that kind of Omar's uh, saying that, you know, will find you success in this game. Yes. And, and that's not always the case. Yeah. 
Yeah, I suppose that's true. I I feel like for like 90% of people, you do have to be your genuine self. Because I think that what we have seen about people throwing out lies or deception about who they are, it's very difficult to keep that up. So I think you it's certainly a game you can play. I don't think that there is a rule like like Omer suggesting that that you have to be your genuine self. But I think it's a far easier path to the end. Agreed. Well, rather than can I add rather rather it's that you don't have to reveal all about yourself in order mm. to be more successful at the game. So like let's say I let's say I had cancer when I was younger and I go on Survivor and I choose not to tell tell anyone about that or discuss it at all on the show. My game is not going to suffer because I did not mm. come into the game and share that I had cancer. That's well, I think like, more what I mean. Yeah. So yeah, it's not the need to deceive, but it's this idea that the more you share about yourself, the better you're going to do in the game. I think that is a false pretense. Yeah, it's like you think about um, Jeremy having what a, a baby on the way or something in Second Chance, and he held on to it until the final Tribal Council, where he used it as a weapon against his uh, uh, fellow finalists and managed to garner more sympathy with the jury, although I think he would have won either way. But, you know, it's something that is obviously very important in his personal life that he managed to conceal until the very end. Great example. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into our recap then. Uh, there's So like I said, there was uh, quite a bit of character material early on, and I want to touch on it a little bit, tribe by tribe. So let's go to the green tribe, the Vita tribe, where Jenny and Chanel were bonding in the jungle. I thought there was like really cute moments from Jenny here, although we didn't really get a whole lot of content from her afterwards where she's asking Chanel, like, you know, can you tell me if there's anything in my teeth, etc. And they find this crab and and then, and then that sort of segues into Chanel saying, I thought, I really thought that there would be a provider out here and there's not. Speaking, I think, to this idea we talked about last week about how it's not a super physical tribe. It's not a pretty, or it's not a super physical season uh, where there's a lots of big men who are, you know, really eager to go spearfishing and uh, whatever. So Chanel feels like now she can step up into this uh, provider role unexpectedly, and maybe unwillingly, and she finds this great crab that they cook and eat and uh, eventually high partakes. Yeah, I felt like the um, <clears throat> crab find sort of lacked the pizzazz about similar scenes in the past, just because you either want them to just go in there, you know, take a I don't know, a rock and kill the crab like right there, right then. Or you want like hijinks to ensue about the crab keeps escaping and blah, blah, blah. And you kind of got neither where it's like they were both uncomfortable by the crab, but then, you know, eventually found the palm fronds and wrapped it up and boiled it. It just, it felt like it was missing a beat in terms of the storytelling. Yeah, I, I mean, like I wasn't sure which angle they were going for here because we were sort of getting Jenny's perspective on it first and then it segued into chanel becoming a provider like by, by by catching one crab so i mean we'll see how this pans out but as a also, pair i really like jenny and chanel i like them too but i do think the whole like i hate the outdoors thing but i'm gonna play survivor is is a little like come on now what'd you sign up for <laughs> i mean i can sympathize with it because i would love oh, to I play survivor too. and i hate the outdoors same, but it's like, then you have to, I think I think your approach has to be like, I love this show so much and there's so many other aspects of the game that I want to play that I will forego any, you know, fears that that come up in me. So I guess it's, I yes, I do think you can hate the outdoors, that can be a thing, but 
I got the se- I don't get the sense that they are super fans that could be very wrong, but I, I got I just needed to better understand sort of okay, well then what brings you here outside the million? Yeah, it also did feel like we got the same speech last week, but better from Lydia, where she was talking about how she hates to get sand on her and doesn't like the the water and doesn't like to run and doesn't like the bugs. So it was a little bit like samey. We've heard it before, literally last week, uh, but <laughs> it is what it is. Okay, let's go over to the Orange Taku tribe, where we're starting to get a lot of Marianne content. And she's going full Jack Nicholson on the wood. She's doing Disney Channel parodies. Uh, And I think Mariah is the one to say, and maybe Lindsay also, that, you know, they feel like, like we said last week, they feel like Marianne is going to start getting on their nerves. And this is really interesting because this is something that I'm kind of surprised that Survivor sort of leaned into this story so hard this week because I can tell that they absolutely adore Marianne in the edit and they love her for the show. And I can understand why she's got her personality is turned up to 200%. But then to get this flip side from people like Mariah, Mariah, who's like a much more quiet sort of bubbling under personality and Lindsay, who we know almost nothing about, despite the fact that she is an amulet holder uh, are just a little bit like, look, it's, she's a little young and annoying at this point. So uh, I'm going to be really interested to see how this Marianne story pans out because of course she was saved over Mariah for reasons I don't fully understand, um, but <laughs> but I'm very curious to see how this is going to pan out for this this tribe, uh, sort of like managing Marianne's personality. But as you sort of mentioned, with the fake out of the vote and everything, I just have to believe there's either more to Marianne's story that we're not seeing. She's either cemented better one-on-one relationships that that then are being shown. Or that clip package was pulled from a lot of different days so that it makes it seem like she's just going from subject to subject and blah, 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 blah. When meanwhile, it's like, maybe we're only seeing the moments when she's at 200, but there are the moments when she's not, and Mm. they're just choosing to edit it in a certain way. So there's obviously more to the story we're not seeing, which is, hello, welcome to reality television. But I still think in the case of Marianne, it feels a little bit... um, clear for anyone that's watched the show for a while or knows reality TV that something again I keep coming back to this sort of story editing thing it was something we were talking about last week as well but there's something missing with with the Marianne story yeah you know what I suspect it is is that we got this scene I think right after where the the scene where Omar talks about being Muslim and then Jonathan talks about being Christian like he makes this weird comment to Omar about like if you ever want to know anything about Christianity you can ask me it's like Everybody knows everything about Christianity. It's literally like the dominant, saturated, <laughs> you know, ideology in Western culture. So, like, chill. But we get this scene where they talk about that, and then Marianne is a seminary student, also, so she's big on God. Uh, and then Lindsay is uh, not the best Jew, as she said. And um, so we get this like conversation about religion that's really interesting, which I feel like we haven't had in a very, very long time. Now, they're not really discussing anything about the ins and outs, but but they're, we're seeing these people bond and uh, very clearly from like three different religions. But what stands out to me is that I did not expect Jonathan to be this like devout Christian. That is not something I saw coming. 
And I suspect, because he talks later about how much he loves Marianne, I think their bond must have either started or strongly relies on this idea of them both being like raw, raw Christian. Which does mean that Jonathan could emerge down the line as a, a more nuanced character than we expected, perhaps from episode one. It's like if the um, Tarzan or like Hulk, Thor, whatever thing meets up with like the Brandon Hance religious. I'm not saying he's going to go all the way there, <laughs> but I'm just saying it's like that um, could lead somewhere interesting. Like I'm hoping more for Nalia Vesepia vibes. Like, okay, as got a it, got duo, it, got it. <laughs> Jonathan and Marianne can do that. N- not necessarily the Brandon Hance route. So like that's got it, my got hope it, got it. for this. Okay, season. I'm in favor. I'm in favor. <laughs> uh, I, especially the Vesepia vibes because I I need Marianne to win now that I picked her as my winner pick. Okay. Also, though, Jonathan has this relationship with Omer that we talked about, where they're developing this like unlikely bro alliance where Omer describes their duo as Jonathan being his meat shield and Omer being Jonathan's brain shield very much reminds me of Christian and the mayor of Slamtown and David versus Goliath. And maybe that's why I'm making this connection between the seasons because like Jonathan is literally mayor of Slamtown. I can't remember his name, (laughs) his actual name, but it's like a very similar vibe to me. And could potentially work. I mean, it worked for quite a while for Christian. I do just want to point out, though, something related to this and then something that happened uh, back at the other tribe when they talked about should we form an all-girls alliance where, and I'm still figuring out this thought in real time with you, but I do think there's something about the gendered nature of how the contestants speak about the show that sort of informs a lot of viewers' Uh, perspective on the show. So for instance, even in calling it a bromance versus just, hey, I really can, it's like I connected with this other guy, we're really getting along. How the two, how two guys getting along is often, as from different walks of life, is often framed by them as a bromance. Or when Tori, or I, was it Drea that approached Tori about the, mm-hmm. the, yeah, and how it was sort of like, should we do the all girl thing? And it's like, well, there's just, Five people, or was it at that point six, right? There's six people present and three of us want to get together. Why can't it just be your names? Like, why is it always through the framework of gender? And and again, that's her decision to make it such. So it's not like it's being imposed by the patriarchy. But although I do think there's something worth meditating on at some point, just sort of about the ways in which people within the game often view it through the prism of gender in a way that I think makes the viewer at home sort of start to do the same thing. So when we do this, when we have conversations about, well, well, why do we always call it an all-girls alliance when the girls get together, but when the guys get together, we don't call it that? It's like, this is an example of, well, here you have a female player framing it as such for the audience. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily like a conscious decision that she's adhering to the way it's been spoken about in the past, blah, blah, blah. But even things like that or the bromance thing, I just think are, I was thinking about sort of the ways in which the show presents gender. And those are two distinct examples from this episode that I think are notable. Yeah, I mean, I think that the bromance thing is something that's a little bit more broader culturally because straight men don't know how to describe their relationships to one another without feeling gay. And I think that that's where that that comes from. Um, But with the girls Alliance, I think we actually see girls alliances 
so rarely in this show and certainly they've been tried in the past and i think even last season we had evie trying to get together a women's alliance on the asa tribe uh, but there's really only been a couple successful ones in the past obviously the most famous being the black widow brigade from micronesia but they don't typically pan out very well. And so I think that there's like something different when it comes to an all women's alliance where there is something to prove. I think it is worth proving that it can be done, especially given the fact that these contestants in 42 do not know that a woman won 41 and are still operating under the assumption that the last female winner was Sarah Lucina and Game Changers. And so I think that there is like a broader mission to an all women's alliance that is worthy uh, and, you know, like worth pursuing. Oh, without a doubt. But in the case of like Evie, they articulated that to the other cast members to say, it's like, this hasn't happened in a while. Let's be the ones that do it. Whereas I don't think that that was, I could be wrong. I don't think that was Andrea's thought process around, oh, wait, we have something to prove in the legacy of Survivor. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, no doubt. You're right. Well, I thought it was interesting that Drea went to them with this information because like, she's talking to Swathi and she's talking to Tori and she reveals to them that she has this extra vote. Of course, she has two advantages at this point. She's holding an amulet and then she has the extra vote that she won from Shipwheel Island, which she got at the previous night's tribal, I guess. And so in order to pitch this women's alliance, she goes to Swathi and Tori and tells them about her extra vote, which I really don't understand this because at this point they have voted out Zach. It's a tribe of five people. Three of them are women. Two of them are men. We do not need an extra vote to pull off a women's alliance here. So why tell them about the extra vote? I mean, I suppose like it could be, she could see that as like garnering trust with them, but Obviously, that wasn't the case because the second she walked away from them, Swathi immediately turned to Tori and said, we need to get Drea out. Yeah, and also I'll say credit to Tori for sort of recognizing her place in things and saying when Swathi was sort of like, what do you think? She was quick to be like, I'm going to do what you want to do because I'm on the bottom of the totem pole in theory. And so I'm not going to come out here and try to act like I'm going to make big game moves because if I were Tori... I would, I would assume that Swathi's pumping me for information. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of like the fact that Tori demurred and she's like, you tell me, you tell me what to do. But then also Swathi, who seems to be genuine in her relationship with Tori, is sort of like, no, 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 I'm actually just asking you because I want your perspective. So it's an interesting dynamic um, that we have with this tribe already. Yeah, and also, I mean, I thought that coming out of episode one, Romeo was probably set up best, but now with this new scene about the women's alliance and drea wanting to turn on roxroy and romeo it's like actually romeo is suddenly in a terrible position and not only is he in a terrible position but he's given a dodo scene where he cracks open the coconut and goes to drink it and it pours it all over himself and, and i think i saw a post on reddit that said like they would they they don't give winners scenes like this uh so mm. I am not sure how that's going to pan out for Romeo. Yeah, but then again, drop the four, keep the two, you know? That is true. That is Just true. Just now. Okay, let's go to Vita, where we have our first beware advantage found. Mike is idol hunting. Uh, this was a uh, sort of a weird sequence, I thought, because he is 
idol hunting and talking about how it's like finding a needle in a haystack and it's so hard. And I mean, it was, this is truly about the editing. He immediately then finds it there. There's like, usually they do a broader montage of like searching here, searching here, searching there, but we just get the sound bite. It's so hard to find. And then the next scene is he finds it. So uh, that was, that was a weird beat. I do think this is one of the ways in which I, as a viewer, I'm just very curious about the layout of the island, because on the one hand, you have Mike just, you know, rolling up and finding this idol. But then later, apologies, I'm learning names. Who is the guy he then told about? Daniel. Daniel. So then you have Daniel mentioning the fact that it's just so easy to get lost. And there's so many points at which, you know, the paths diverge, blah, blah, blah. And so I just really don't have a sense of how big the island is for them. And I know we've spoken in the past, and I think it was, um, it was Courtney that mentioned with Colby that he did not like the parameters that were set in during Heroes versus Villains as far as how far out they could go to explore. And so that just has always had me wondering sort of like what is the actual amount of area and ground they are able to cover? It can't be that much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a little different, I think, because because this location that they're in in Fiji, I believe i could be wrong but i believe they have a lot of space because they're on full islands where Mm -hmm. in samoa for example they're in a specific area probably like a nature preserve or like a national park or something like that and so they have to keep within a certain bound but i in fiji i presume that they have agreements to kind of like use the whole island i'm not saying the tribe can use the whole island but I feel like they might have a little bit more space. It was also interesting that uh, I think Courtney also said about Russell that because he had just come out of filming Samoa, then very shortly after there was the turnaround was very short that he came out to play Heroes versus Villains, and that on the Villains tribe he was on the same beach, and so he knew the lay of the land and he knew the jungle. Uh, so I feel like. That's maybe an advantage that he had that he could, uh, you know, explore in a way that others might not be able to, like, uh, you know, Mike trying to find and refollow all of these paths that he had gone on. But to your point, I think that what we need is no, nobody needs this. But in, in season two, in the lead up to season two, Mark Burnett released another survivor book. It was the Australian uh, field guide book or something like that. And it came with a map of where everything was tribal, the camps, the Look, I love that. challenge locations. Like that would be great. I feel like somebody needs to put together a Google Earth image map with an overlay of where all of the different camps are because they use the same camps every single season i mean you can recognize landmarks in them um i would love to see exactly what the layout is also if this is a kid show as we were told so often in season 41 i feel like that's a really fun thing for kids to sort of i don't know it could be a puzzle or something but that's sort of a fun way to integrate the the lens that they're p- trying to place on the show speaking of which the um where, what happened to the kids at home uh, and Jack know, talking directly gone. to the camera? It's interesting that like which things have we've lost from from season 41 and then wondering sort of like what what went into that? Because you would think 
if the goal with season 41 was to really sort of, you know, make the young viewers feel spoken to in the hope that they will, you know, one day try out and whatnot, why would you, ab- why would you abandon the young people? <laughs> like, it's an odd choice to make where it's like, we're going to talk to kids and, and make these special parts of the game for one season. But then this next season, which was filmed back to back, no, no more kids. Yeah, no game within a game. Uh, maybe they used up all the phrases that they could come up with. I mean, they were really stretching there for a little bit. So, yeah, tricky, tricky to say. Who who knows what to say? I feel like they might have even like made it and didn't put it in the show. That's possible. Right. Just like Which I really feel makes like. You... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like Jeff could have been talking to the camera and they just cut it after the reaction that we saw to it in 41 from fans because there was a moment during the immunity challenge where Jeff talked to the camera where he said, you know, Oh, the contestants are talking. I'm talking, you know? So I feel like he's doing it. Hated that moment. Um, (laughs) It just kind of, you know, makes you wonder. It's like Whitney Houston saying children are our future. And I feel like survivors kind of saying putting the kibosh on that. Yeah. They're over it. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So Mike finds his beware advantage. He decides to open it. He finds out about the secret phrases. There's one on every beach. And his secret phrase is, there's such grace in a game of soccer, it makes me cry. Uh, This is going to be a problem for him because he doesn't like soccer and doesn't even consider it a sport, which is an interesting position to take. (laughs) (laughs) True. I could get not liking it, but I mean, it's, it's a sport. It's a sport. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I did. I tried to spot the other, uh, the other phrases on his piece of paper, but he was covering them with the envelope. And, uh, we know the one from, uh, so this is kind of the problem. Uh, You probably don't remember this, but I have watched these a few times. So the previews for season 42 reveal who the other two people are who get these advantages. And they've certainly spoiled things already with them. So uh, we have heard one of them, and it is uh, potatoes have skin. I potatoes have skin. I have skin. Am I a potato? That's one of what? them. The other one we have not heard yet, I believe, and was covered in the thing, but it has something to do with rabbits. So look out for that. Okay, can I ask a question about the three-way idol split that Mm -hmm. you might know the answer to, or or I'm sure everyone listening is going to be like, Evan, it's so obvious. So Mike is the name of the person that found the three-way? Okay, so Mike told... I'm I'm sorry, guys. I should have just have the cast list open. But Mike told who that he Daniel. cast the idol. Okay. So my question is, Daniel knows about this, right? So say they decide to vote Michael off, but and but Daniel knows the phrase, but Daniel still has his vote. And so my question is, if Michael is voted off, can Daniel assume the power that that like can Daniel assume the idol essentially and just say the phrase to unlock the idol? But if that was the case, would Daniel then have to also lose his vote or like how does it work if the person gets voted off but somebody else knows about it i'm so glad you asked so i know the answer to this because as you remember or maybe not (laughs) brad had the beware advantage on ua beach last season okay and they voted him out before it could be activated remember he gave that really bad broccoli speech uh the challenge that one time and then they voted him out so when he was voted out despite the fact that shan knew about the beware advantage 
it was rehidden. So it's not like she got to go back to wherever he had hidden it and take it. Uh, it. It just automatically gets rehidden, I believe, even though Shan knows the phrase. Now, then when they rehid it and Jeannie found it and they decided, I mean, they faked Jeannie out that they were not going to open it, but that they were going to say the phrase which they knew existed at the next challenge to make the other tribes think that they could activate their idols if they had them. So basically what would have happened, of course it's not what happened, what would have happened is they had not opened it, Shan was going to say the phrase at the next tribal, the other two tribes would have said their phrases, and the other two idol holders would have believed their idols to be active, but they not would not actually be because nobody was a beware advantage holder on Ua. So that's what would happen if they voted Mike out, Daniel knew the phrase, Daniel said the phrase, but wasn't an actual holder of a beware advantage, the idols would not be activated because the whole beware aspect is that you have to have this in your possession and lose your vote, right? So just saying the phrase without having it would not activate or would not isn't automatically that almost give like, you the idol. Isn't that almost like a better advantage because you essentially get two idol nullifiers? Yes, 100%. So it's like, wouldn't you just tell your entire tribe about the situation, explain what I what I just said, and just be like, hey, let's not use this idol, any of us, and let's use knowing this phrase to our advantage as a tribe to give two people fake idols. Yes, but that's what Shan and Ricard were going to do to Jeannie with Yeah, but Jeannie. they were doing it sort of by circumstance because it's like they, because of the, it's like I'm saying just from the outset, I, well, I guess no, because the 42 cast doesn't know either. Okay, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, you would have, I mean, you have to know. So they would have to be in a situation where they vote Mike out and then the entire tribe has to be in agreement. We're not opening this beware advantage. The problem is that people get greedy and that happened with Shannon Ricard where they said like, wait a second, this exists and we could literally have an idol. It's a little too tempting, I think, for everybody to be on board to pass it up and give two people dud idols. But it would be like fascinating strategy to see happen. And I don't know that it's if it doesn't happen this season, I don't know if it can ever happen again, because if are like, I mean, are they going to do this in 43? Everyone's seen this happen. Everybody knows what these phrases are. It's a little like they're going to have to mix it up, I think. Okay. Uh, so what's going on with the beware? Mike tells Jenny about it because he says that she's his number one ally, which I feel like was news to me. And then he also tells Daniel about it. And then they go hunting for it, as we talked about, and he loses it. I've always wondered what happens when somebody loses an idol or an advantage because we've seen people bury shit all over the place for so many years and it's never been a problem. And I almost thought that like if you were in possession of something and then you hit it and you couldn't remember where you hit it, I almost felt like production would just give you a replacement. But maybe that's not the case because we finally get a scene where somebody does misplace their advantage and so we see mike and daniel running around the island trying to remember where he buried it of course they do find it um, and daniel is feeling pretty good about this because he recognizes that he says he has all the knowledge and none of the penalty when it comes to the beware advantage idol daniel goes to chanel who we heard last episode that they are kind of a default duo because everyone else had already paired up. And I guess that's why Mike and Jenny are number ones. But 
Daniel goes to Chanel, tells him about Mike's beware advantage, and says that there's a way they can figure out to use this to their advantage. And Daniel's plan essentially is that he doesn't want any idols to be activated, which I think is very smart because, yes, he may be an ally of Mike's and it might be nice for Mike to have an idol in some situations, but he doesn't want the other two tribes, these unknowns, also having idols potentially coming into the merge with them. So his plan is to either vote Mike out and just eliminate the beware for now, although it will get rehidden and somebody else will find it probably, or even better is that he wants to prevent Mike from saying the phrase and activating the idols. So basically like playing this out till merge so that everybody's idols are just duds because I think at merge it expires. Um, Which is a really smart strategy, but from the uh, entertainment perspective or like from the people that, uh, from the producers who sort of like crafted (laughs) this whole thing up, it's sort of like, if you if you make a nothing burger from the outset of the recipe, it's sort of like, okay, well then do we need to go ahead and, and put the burger on the grill? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of I like, mean, I suspect I think that Daniel could do all that he can to get Mike to not say the phrase, but I'm not sure that the producers would let that happen. I feel like Daniel could really get into Mike's head about why it would be best not to say the phrase and not activate the idols. But I suspect in confessional interviews, the producers might uh, be a little bit more convincing uh, to the opposite. Okay. Should we go to the immunity challenge? Yes. So Marianne is shocked to see Zach gone because she had a big old crush on him. See, this whole storyline, this is the most I've liked Marianne, is the Zach stuff because uh, it seems it feels very genuine. It kind of comes at literally out of nowhere. It feels like very old school to me for this sort of like cross tribal uh, crush to be happening. And I just wish that there had been like one throwaway line last episode to set this up. It would have been much more satisfying that in one episode, we just have Marianne being like, oh, who's this cute guy? And of course, he's like... <laughs> the most nerdy, dweeby, skinny guy I've ever seen. And then that it would pay off in such a big way because it's so rare to talk about a first boot so much after that that they've already gone. Uh, I feel like Zach is probably amongst the top to be continued to talk, be talked about. And so anyways, all of that to be said, I did appreciate this. I really liked this Marianne story about having uh, this this type, this nerdy white guy type that always rejects her. Uh, the problem for me here is that Jeff manages to completely ruin the moment by like being such a cringy cheese ball about it and trying to tie it back into the, this is the most insane game ever. And you're thinking about love? Like, okay, Jeff, stop. Um, Okay, but we're moving on to the challenge. It's a classic challenge, the Jerry Manthe Memorial Challenge, as I saw someone call it on Twitter, uh, where we have uh, three callers, uh, for e- one for each tribe, and they are leading blindfolded tribe members around to collect around an obstacle course to collect puzzle pieces, and then they're also directing them to complete a puzzle blindfolded. So the callers are Jonathan, Lydia, and Drea, all of whom do a pretty good job, but I do want to point out Jonathan's demonic voice 
Oh my god! It was uh, so that scary. he <laughs> that he turns to because he's kind of struggling to get his tribe going a little bit in the beginning, and then he like switches uh, to demon mode. Uh, but also Lydia, who was a little bit of a standout here. I mean, she didn't. I don't think she got any confessionals this episode after having quite a. F- well, a few in the last episode, but as a caller, I think she she really excelled here because, uh, well, she had she had a few things going on. Like I, I'm finding like a nice mix of personality with Lydia because she's kind of like, um, she's kind of aware and has this like cultivated personality that is like very targeted towards gen z but for marvel millennial it's like gen z for a millennial audience it feels like and that's perfect for survivor but then we see i feel like the real lydia come out in moments like this where she was like um you know in matilda she was like miss trunchbull up there she was like miss trunchbull for a new generation yelling at her tribe mates and i just thought it was really love that comparison (laughs) (laughs) i'm not saying she looked like her but it was like the the attitude was there and uh, i really liked that she kept pointing she kept giving directions by pointing like like hey you bitches come here and she's pointing to the map but it's like no no no, that like they can't see you and she's pointing to the puzzle but they managed to uh pull out a win so uh ika finishes uh, uh second place Vita finishes first place. Taku's going to tribal. Okay. Also, so Mike did not say his idle phrase, as far as we know. He did not say his beware advantage phrase. So that was interesting. I mean, I think early on, you kind of want to wait for somebody else to say it first, because especially if you're going to be talking about soccer every week, you want to limit the number of times you have to say that. You don't want to be the Xander of the season, I think. Well, especially because that's like, is it even a sport? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's go to Taku. So for the now, the, here's where my complaints start because there is no reason that we are given as to why the vote is between Mariah and Marianne. It just uh, immediately from the outset of this segment, it's just well, is it Mariah or is it Marianne? And we don't know why it's them. I would presume that it's because Omer and Jonathan are a pair. And Jonathan's made a throwaway comment that he's close to Lindsay. So I guess there's sort of like a threesome in the vote. And then that just leaves Mariah and Marianne out. But it's a little bit confusing because Jonathan also said he was very close to Marianne. Lindsay is constantly with Mariah. Every time we see Mariah, she's with Lindsay. So like, I'm just not sure what the social dynamics are and, and, and how it would come to be that not only are Mariah and Marianne the options, but they seem to know that they are the options. Well, and I think this is one of the huge disadvantages about the three tribe split versus the two tribe is the variables of who goes home um, become significantly less. I mean, and right now we're at the beginning. I mean, imagine once we start getting Mm. down to tribes of three or four, I think that it's there's just inevitabilities that play out that make, you know, that make the producers have to sort of do this sort of is it this one or is it that one 
when I kind of like those votes that like, it's this, it's this one or this one or this one, or it could even be that one. And you just get so few options in the three vote split. So I, one thing I'm curious about going into 43, um, cause I think there's going to be a lot of changes made is whether or not they continue with the three vote split, because that used to sort of be like a, they'd pull it out every few seasons. It would be special. Um, is that just going to be the norm moving forward? But yeah, I, mm. I felt like it was just sort of, uh, by process of elimination, as you mentioned, the, the bromance was strong and we haven't really seen Lindsay enough to really know much about her, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I get the sense that she is in with the other two guys or it could have just come down to, they feel like she is physically the strongest and that they want to keep the, the tribe physically strong. Yeah. Or it's that Omer and Jonathan and Jonathan is very close to Marianne that the writing was on the wall, that it was going to be three, two and Lindsay doesn't want to be on the wrong side of the boat this early on like it could be that also makes sense so the 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 tricky thing here is that uh, i think they said that omar and jonathan said okay well we need to make i mean the way they were pitching it in the show was that we need to make both mariah and marianne feel comfortable enough to not use their shot in the dark and so they're they're working on that with both of them but then kind of like right before tribal we see omer talking to mariah and i'm and i mean like he's they're pitch they're showing us that he's kind of torn about this because mariah had told this story about her brother dying and being the first healthcare worker to die of covid in uh the united states and that she's out here for closure and she wants to bury this necklace and all, you know, all of this like personal emotional stuff. And Omer's like feeling a little conflicted about sending her home so early when she's out here for uh, such a personal reason. And so he says to her, would you consider playing your shot tonight? And it didn't seem like it was in a way of trying to dissuade her. It was almost like giving her a heads up, it felt like. And so I think that explains perhaps why she did play her shot. I think it's interesting that we're two for two votes on and shot in the dark plays now because Mariah becomes the second person to be unanimously voted out of their tribe in Survivor history with uh, no other votes for anybody else because she played her shot. I don't know whether it's like the producers sort of pushing the shot in the dark a little bit more maybe in the confessionals as the players are working through all the various options maybe they've got a new pitch for why the shot can work well but i suspect i mean that the whole point of the shot i thought was to ensure that every single vote was a blindside and it had to be a real blindside not a blindside manufactured for the audience but truly the person was blindsided and right now we're for two for two on unsuccessful blindsides because if Mariah had pulled a safe scroll, then then what? I suppose it might have been Marianne, but would it have been? I don't know. Maybe it would have been Lindsay. Maybe it would have been somebody else. Uh, really hard to say. So feels like they're still figuring this out, and the shot in the dark could really throw a spanner in the works. I feel like it's just a matter of time before we finally see someone safe with it. I mean, I remain gripped at the idea that that never happens. Yeah. Because <laughs> that is like quite a quite a thing to build up. But I mean, again, the statistic is so small that I think it would be funny if we got more and more plays of it and just, it's chocolate. Yeah, it would be. That's a Drag Race reference for those that don't know. Yes. Uh, so at Tribal, just a couple of things I want to point out. Uh, first of all, Jeff Jeff's tribals have been unhinged this season. Like, I feel like he's really taking it to the next level. I mean, they literally get there and he says, this is where death happens. And yeah, maybe yeah. he's foreshadowing the do or die, but 
like this is stupid like can we just can we just this is tribal someone's getting voted out of reality show and someone lost their brother to COVID who actually died. Uh, yeah. So like, let's be yeah. a little sensitive around. That's where death again, happens, Jeff. Just, yeah. It's like, hey, 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 Jeff. Yeah. I never even Go get refreshed. <laughs> uh, Marianne's begging not to be sent to Zach at Ponderosa because uh, as nice as that would be for her and that they could have a relationship coming out of this. Her, her real dream is to win Survivor and get the man. So, uh, you know, like I said, I think that this is the most endearing thing I've seen from Marianne. I think like the kookiness and the jokes, like they're not landing for me, but the, this, this crush on Zach, I feel like is genuine. And I really like the way that she's talking about it. So, uh, unfortunately she's not being sent to Zach tonight. She is safe and Mariah is sent home. So also a different, a change in protocol here with the shot in the dark, because, Mariah is handing the scroll to Jeff. I feel like I feel like that's a bit of a shame because we got like a very I mean it never became a meme, but it was like a memeable moment last season when Sydney revealed her scroll and just was like making a face. I kind of like the idea that the players are in charge of this big moment, but Well, and Zach Jeff, revealed Jeff, his last week, right? He did, yeah. So it's an interesting uh, thing to make a change up sort of like week 2 of the game. It makes you think something happened or or Jeff was like, this is going to continue happening. And I don't want <laughs> we're not putting the show in the hands of our players, which is uh, which is actually getting to the root of Survivor's problem right now. So, OK, Mariah sent home. I hope that she gets her closure at Ponderosa because she's not getting it on the island, unfortunately. So, yeah, I think I'm feeling pretty good coming out of this episode. I do feel like I've gotten to know a lot more people better. I'm feeling the dynamic. I'm very curious about uh, what's going to happen with this Drea Women's Alliance. I think Drea has been playing an interesting game where it feels like she doesn't quite, um, she's not quite reading the room consistently. I mean, there, there was that scene last uh, episode where Romeo had to c- remind her that Roxroy is in their alliance. This time she's going and maybe revealing too much information to get the women together in an alliance. And I feel like I feel like this is setting up a story for Drea in the near term that I'm really interested to watch play out. Uh, the only tribe I feel like I don't know that much about still is the Vita tribe, of course, because they're the only ones that haven't gone to tribal yet. But I will be very curious to see uh, if if they do and how their dynamic shakes out. Uh, I, I'm feeling like after this episode, because we got such an even spread across the tribes, more or less, uh, you know, pre-challenge. I feel like we might not be getting a decimation in the way that we got uh, last season, which will be nice and will shake things up a little bit, I think. Yeah, I did want to mention real quick about uh, the scenes for next week, just because I think Survivor really struggles with its scenes for next week because it just does soundbite, 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 soundbite. And I really think it could get more use out of like actually giving us something of like what happens in the episode versus just like reaction face and big line and oh my God, and this has never happened before. And by doing that every week, it sort of just makes it so meaningless. And I just would love if maybe they like, a la a secret scene, gave us like a 30 second clip of like something, a straight shot, like no cutaways of something that happens in the next episode to sort of whet our appetites, even if it's like just a sample of the challenge or what have you. But I just feel like the rapid shot, oh my God, this is so crazy. Week after week after week. It's like, I actually want to know what's happening next week. (laughs) 
Yeah, actually, I mean, the most gripping part of the next time on Survivor was the challenge where somebody's really, str- I can't remember who was struggling in the water. Great. So like, show Mike me the person's, Jonathan yeah, but like, something? give us a little bit more of that. They don't have yeah. to like, hold that so close to the vest. It's like, show us that, give us that, give us maybe a soundbite of the confessional or, but it's like, they, they really want to try and build up intrigue. And it's like, no, we're coming in next week. We're here. We're in. Yeah. So like, give <laughs> yeah. me a little something to whet my appetite versus just being like, can we get you back? You get me back. Jeff, I'm coming back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, with that, let's wrap it up. We have no voicemails this week, but I just want to remind people that we are accepting and we are taking voicemails. So if you have thoughts after next week's episode, please send them to me via Instagram DM. Uh, If you don't know how to send a voicemail to me, just ask me and I'll give you some options. Uh, We would love to hear your thoughts on the season and your thoughts on episode three that we can respond to. So you know where to find me. Uh, You can find our Instagrams in the show notes for this episode. And we will try to get those on the show. We record Thursday mornings early. So if you can get them in right after the show, that's best case scenario for us. Uh, In the meantime, make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast. I am still recapping Australian Survivor with Ricard on uh, either Mondays, Tuesdays, or this week it was Wednesdays. Uh, So that season is uh, moving towards the end game. So we will be wrapping that up in the coming weeks. And of course, we will be back to recap episode three of season 42 next week. Don't forget that Evan Ross Katz just released a book about Buffy the Vampire Slayer called Into Every Gener into every generation yeah (laughs) wait but don't buy into every generation there is a buffy book that came out called into every generation this is into every generation a slayer is born can you believe that every generation a slayer is born i did not know that change the name of my book because of that i see i was confused about that because i was like i was i could have sworn this book was called into every generation the the publisher of that book sent me a copy of it and i was like no yeah i was like anyway did you read it No, I put it on my bookshelf. (laughs) Okay, well, yeah, it it came out this week. I've got my copy. I'm ready to dive into it. I'm so excited. Congratulations, Evan. Thank you. Um, I've seen lots of positive stuff about it, so I can't wait to read it myself and relive my entire Buffy experience. uh, And maybe... Maybe we'll get a SMG on the pod someday to give us her thoughts on Survivor. She is a noted Uh, Survivor super fan. Big Survivor fan and, and... friend of jonathan penner so indeed indeed. (laughs) yeah i would like to hear that story okay thank you so much for listening bye bye